you know, I just want to share a little bit about myself. Most of you have never met me before. Uh, maybe you've looked me up on Facebook. I can't remember the last thing I've said on Facebook, so um, you probably don't know anything too much about me. Um, I, my wife and I, we live in New Hampshire, and I've actually grown up there. I, I uh, was born and raised there. Um, my parents, uh, they live in a small town called Dunbarton, New Hampshire, and we lived in the same house and end up going to the church that I minister at, to, at now. Um, and uh, it's been a blessing to be there. So thankful for what the Lord's done in our hearts through our time there. We have, um, my wife and I, we've been married for nine and a half years, and uh, we have two little boys. Uh, Mason is four. He actually turns four today. And, uh, and so we'll celebrate this week with him. I don't think he knows what day his birthday is unless we tell him. So this will be fun. And then <clears throat> we have a son uh, whose, his name is Blaze, B-L-A-I-S-E. Um, but a lot, often he is a B-L-A-Z-E. He's pretty, pretty, pretty wild and exciting. And uh, we're so thankful for our two little boys. And they've been a real blessing to us. Um, we're going to share more about who we are and for you to know us uh, so that we can be known by you and uh, in the quip hour, but we're just uh, so thankful to be here. I do want to say one thing. It's difficult to come to Palmetto and kind of scope the church out. We've, this is our third time here, so we came in November once and we came in December once, and uh, when people are so friendly, they want to know about you. And, and you really can't say who you are. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Ben, and, and you try to keep the conversation not on you and uh, on myself. And uh, so people won't ask me any awkward questions. Well, what are you doing here? And uh, there were a few occasions like that, but I think we got through it. And uh, it's great to be here this morning, and we're thrilled what the Lord may be doing. I uh, can't help but recognize that this is a little bit of an awkward message because in one way, it seems like it could be perceived as a performance. And this morning, I, I really don't want this to be a performance in any way. In fact, if, if I were to come and you just learn more about me, and I use the avenue of preaching as the method of for you to know me, frankly, our time is wasted. Because the, the, the primal, the, the most important reality that we have together this morning is to lift up Jesus Christ, to know Christ better, to love him more deeply. And so I, I want to put aside the reality that we might be, uh, there, there's, there's a, a vote about this and there's, there's other conversations to be had aside for 35, 45 minutes. And I do want us to just enjoy the realities and beauty of Jesus Christ in a fuller way this morning. Let's begin with just by seeing if you can make a similar observation that I've made in my life. Uh, Humans have this keen desire to be understood. They want to be understood deeply, actually. I've noticed this with my three-year-old son, well now four, who will repeat a sentence over and over again that might be incoherent to me, but he really wants me to understand what he says. I see this even with my, myself. 
My wife was asked during a game with some friends, what phrase does your husband say the most? And she said that I say the phrase, does that make sense the most? You know, why do I say that? It's because I want to be understood. I, I want to be, make sure that people understand what I'm saying. Uh, maybe you, what drew you to your spouse was the fact that nobody understood you like they did. And then you were married a few days and you realized that was not true. (laughs) Or maybe you find another person who has gone through a similar experience or struggle or moment of difficulty in their lives and there seems to be a connection that, that you don't even have to talk about. It's just you understand each other. No, we want to be understood. And can I just tell you this morning that, that there is a reality, an ever-present reality, that Jesus understands us completely. The author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians to urge them to remain faithful to Christ. And many of these Christians, they were actually beginning to wane in their faithfulness to Christ. They were under persecution. They were struggling with trials in their life. They, there was this heavy weight of suffering. And, and under the heavy weight of suffering, they were growing weary. This became, uh, they became less attentive to having a distinct life marked by Christ. And some of them had even stopped gathering as a community to worship. There was this waning faithfulness of Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is urging several times for them to remain faithful, to not give up, to continue to press on. And, and really, the, the, the big motivation the author gives is that Jesus is better. He systematically proves that Jesus is better in the first chapter, when he begins to say that Jesus is better than the angels. In verse 5, he says, What angel have I said that, that uh, you are my son? Well, th- there is none, is the, the intended answer. And so the author drives home the point that Jesus is better than angels. And to a Jewish community, that was a very distinct statement. In chapter 2, he introduces a pervasive theme throughout the whole book, and that is Jesus is better than any high priest of the Old Testament. In the third chapter, he sets up another comparison. Jesus is better than Moses. He led the people out of deliverance of Egypt. And remember that that moment where he told Pharaoh, let my people go. I mean, how, who could be better than that? as they walked through the Red Sea with walls of water on either side and they rejoiced. And then Moses went on top of Mount Sinai and, and actually like, like talked with God and, and wrote down the, the Ten Commandments. What an incredible figure. But Jesus is better than Moses. In chapter 10, the author brings up again, Jesus is better than the sacrifices that were offered through the, uh, uh, during the Old Covenant. Essentially, the author's theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better because, because Jesus is better. You, Jewish Christians, 
can persevere, endure, and be faithful. Just as the author could say this to the Jewish Christians that he was writing to, you and I can take heart from the same message that Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, we can persevere, endure, and be faithful. This morning, I want to zero in on three packed verses from Hebrews chapter 4. And the theme will stay in the vein of the entire book, but, but it's be faithful to Christ because Jesus is your great high priest. My goal this morning is for us to look at Jesus with a restored vision of wonder in Christ's priestly role. We, we often and rightly emphasize his, his kingly role. We, we read in the, prophet, the, the, the Gospels a, a prophetic role. We, we emphasize his sacrificial role. But, but there's actually a very distinct priestly role he carries out for us every day, every moment of every day. So I want us to see three statements about our high priest this morning, and they truly are remarkable. It's this. Jesus, the great high priest, mediates perfectly. Jesus, the great high priest, understands our weakness completely. And Jesus, the great high priest, truly cares. Let's start with Jesus, the great high priest, mediates perfectly. In verse 14 the author states clearly that Jesus is the great high priest. But probably as a New Testament believer, this is a bit lost on us. It doesn't quite sink in as it would to a Jewish Christian of of when it was written. I mean, you read the Old Testament about the temple practices and it's kind of hard for us to get our minds around the day-to-day function of the temple. And so I want to ask some questions for us to to have a better uh, way of understanding and and making our way through this passage. And the first question I want to ask is, what is a mediator? Well, a mediator is is a go-between of people. It's on between uh, interceding of two or more parties. You know, if you're a parent of two or more children, you undoubtedly have mediated when they are fighting over the Lego set, you have gone to them and you have sought to mediate. You want there to be a resolution. And what are you trying to do for there not to be fighting? And you, the goal is reconciliation. And so you're trying to make the worst of enemies the best of friends. And so the question is then, okay, what is a mediator? But why do I need a mediator? Well, you and I need a mediator. And you may be unaware this, of this this morning, but we are desperately need of mediation. You see, we actually are actually at war naturally with the very same person. We, we actually are an enemy of God if we are left by ourselves. You know, it wasn't always like that. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we have a picture of something very, very different. You may know the story when God talks with Adam, and, and after, God, uh, Adam, after Adam and Eve sin, 
Genesis records the story that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's like this statement that God did this regularly. Imagine what an incredible experience that would be to walk in the garden with God. But once Adam and Eve sinned, it all changed. It went from walking with God in the garden to now the garden is guarded by angels with flaming swords. It went from being close to God to now being far apart. It's from uh, naming the animals to now wearing the skins of the animals. So the question that begins to bubble up in the Old Testament is how can people draw near to God? You know, man attempted to draw near to God. You see this the Tower of Babel. But God said, no, 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 that, that's actually your attempt. And so we see this, this pervasive theme that, that God is pursuing his people and he sets up means so that God can have, uh, that, that man can have a relationship with God. And one of the ways that we see this in the Old Testament is through the office of the priest. You see, the children of Israel were, were God's chosen people. And God's chosen people, God gave them instructions to live. And as God's chosen people, the children of Israel weren't supposed to be like the other nations. They actually would be a light to the other nations. The nations would actually see God's greatness and God's wonder. They were not supposed to be like the children of Baal, Ashtaroth, and Molech. They were supposed to be something very different. They were supposed to be God's people. So the way that God would draw near to his people was through a mediator or through a representative of the people. And that individual was called a priest. What did the priests, high priests in particular, actually do? And this morning we could emphasize their their sacrificial role of how they would sacrifice animals on behalf of the people. But this morning I actually want to emphasize their intercessory role. You know, we could, um, if I were to, I'm sure there's police officers in our Mitz this morning, and if I were to go to a police officer and they had a uniform on, you could actually begin to tell what they do based on what is on their uniform. You know, he has this big belt and there's many things on that belt. And, and, I, and if I were to say, hey, what's this for? And he would start to describe the circumstance of when he would use that item. And I would say, well, what's this for? And he would start to describe the circumstance that he, was, he would use that item. Well, actually, the same is true for a priest. The priest would have to wear special garments when they went in to, to, to mediate for the people in the presence of God. And, and I want to highlight two pieces of the garments that they wore. The first piece of the garment that I want to emphasize is what they called the breastplate. It was... Um, a piece of fabric, and on that breastplate, there were 12 stones that were engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is symbolic of where they were placed because they were close to the heart of the priest. 
And so when he would walk into the holy place and mediate for the people, intercede for the people, he would see these stones and he would remember the tribes and he would pray for them. Well, there was, there was also the robe that he wore. The high priest, he had this robe on that was blue and on the bottom of the robe, it had pomegranates that were made out of fi- a fabric and in between the pomegranates were bells that would ring. And as the high priest would move around in the holy place, the bells would ring and people would be reassured that the high priest was interceding for them. It also served as a warning. When, when the bells stopped ringing, it would actually be a moment of concern. Did the high priest purify himself enough when he, before he went into the holy presence of God? Was he actually pure enough to go into God's presence? Because if he stopped ringing, did, did actually he die? It was, it was so serious to walk into the presence of God. There was a strict purification protocol. But there were problems with human priests, as you could imagine. Some of the priests were e- evil. You can think of uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, Phineas. They were evil, evil priests. The priests, they couldn't intercede continually. They, they too had to sleep. And, and finally, the priests, they eventually would die, and so they would need to be replaced. There were significant problems with having human priests. And this is why Jesus is so much better. Because Jesus is actually, just as the high priest would pray, Jesus too is interceding and praying for you right now. Just as the stones of the names of the tribes of Israel were close to the heart of the priest, so too are the names of the redeemed close to the heart of Jesus so that now he's in the presence of God mediating, interceding for you before the Father and he's praying on your behalf. One thing I've learned in my life, pastoral ministry, is you actually don't have to ask too many questions to get to the heartache, the struggle, the pain of someone's life. It could be a diagnosis. It could be a broken relationship. It could be the, the, the a grief from a loss that you were hoping time would actually heal that wound, but it hasn't. It could be the, the, the continual sense of anxiety and fear as you watch society change. It could be the very pull of the world on your heart. Maybe it's the struggle that you have with sin and you just want the struggle to be over. In all of these circumstances, if you're a child of God, Jesus, your high priest, is praying fervently, effectively on your behalf. He's praying that you will be kept from the siren calls of this world. He's praying that you won't dilute 
your pain with pleasures of this world. He's praying that even in the midst of sorrow and struggle, there might be joy that is absolutely, uh, absolutely different from this, what this world can provide. You may be kept from the evil one. He's praying that you will have a sweet unity as believers. He's praying all of this for you right now. You know, but not only is Jesus interceding for you, but you also have unprecedented access to the high priest. In Hebrews 4, verse 16, what does it say? It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, Through the Old Testament, there was this attempt to draw near to God, but there was always these barriers. Now you and I as believers can draw near to God. We're just invited. Come, come. You know, I'll be honest in my own life. My natural inclination is not to draw near to God quickly. My natural inclination is to draw near quickly to Google. Maybe Google will answer my questions so I can alleviate my fear. Maybe I can draw near to to someone else so they can alleviate my fears and anxieties of life. Maybe I can draw near to someone else or something else, maybe some sort of thing that will, will ease my anxiety. But God actually says, draw near to me. Draw near. What an incredible truth that we have access to, but I often don't leverage. May I urge you, friends, this morning, draw near to the throne of grace because we all need mercy in in dump truck loads every single day. Why is this so significant. You know, people, people actually don't need to wonder. You know, Jesus is, is, is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's actually no need for Jesus to wear the bells. Because there's no question, has Jesus done enough for you and I? There actually is no, no concern Has he purified himself enough? Actually, he lived the perfect life. He actually conquered death. Jesus fulfilled the law. So this allows you and I to come boldly in the throne of grace. And the reason this is so significant is because we remember the theme of the book of Hebrews. And we're reminded that Christians who are buckling under the weight of persecution, because Jesus is your and my high priest, we actually can then have confidence to hold fast to the confession of our faith. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to what you have learned. Hold fast to the belief that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he's interceding on your behalf. That actually is what urges us to continue on to follow Christ. Maybe this morning you're doubting. Should I follow? Is this worth it? I'm done. Look to Jesus. Look to the gospel. There are so many things of this world that can distract us, pull us away. But 
but look to the, cru- the, 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 the crucified Savior who has died for you and urges you. Believe the gospel. Hold fast to the confession. Maybe you're sitting here today and think, yes, I, 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 that's good. But, but there's a problem. I mean, Jesus, he's got that position of the great high priest. That's awesome. But Jesus doesn't really know how difficult my life is. You know, I, I mean, he didn't go through my specific struggle. I mean, he, he, yeah, he, he's fully God and he's fully man. But it just seems like that gave him an unfair advantage. Surely he can't understand my struggles. You know, this actually couldn't be further from the truth. Not only does Jesus mediate perfectly, but Jesus, the great high priest, understands our weakness. He actually gets you so well. And in the beauty, in the under, in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews anticipates such a claim. Because in verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He uses this double negative to amplify the strength of this statement. He, he wants us to get that, that what you've been thinking about Jesus is not true. Actually, Jesus gets you a lot better than you may understand. He understands our weakness. And how do we know he understands our weaknesses? How do we know that he gets my struggles? Because then the verse continues. What does it say? Because Jesus is our high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Of course, when we talk about Jesus being tempted in every respect, of course, we don't mean that Jesus was tested in every way possible. Like he wasn't tempted in the way that someone specifically would have temptations as an elderly person. He wasn't tempted in a way where he didn't have a cell phone and and how technology may be a temptation for you. He wasn't tempted in those very specific ways. But what it does mean is that the root of any of his temptations, the possibility of all those very temptations, Jesus encountered the trial and temptations and emerged victorious. But as we highlight his victorious life, I think sometimes we can forget that Jesus encountered significant struggling, uh, suffering. In fact, this is a surprising theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus suffered. Hebrews 2 verse 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This word in verse 15, sympathize, literally means to suffer along with. Hebrews 5 verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 12 verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point 
of shedding your blood. And the implication is there was someone, Jesus Christ, who actually resisted to the point of shedding blood. That was the nature of his suffering. But I think it's important, appropriate to ask, how did Jesus suffer? We don't have to look too far to see the suffering servant in the Gospels. Jesus left heaven, the splendor and glory that was in heaven to come to earth. But he came to earth and he was wrapped in human flesh who was born to a poor family that was scandal, a scandal-laden, engaged couple in a cow stall under the persecution of King Herod, lived in this far-out place called Nazareth, endured temptations from Satan, faced opposition from the religious leaders of the day, disparaged and disowned by his own family, betrayed and forgotten by his own disciples, beaten like a criminal, persecuted, and then killed on the cross. More than anyone on earth, Jesus can relate to your suffering. Maybe you think, well, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Did, did he really know what it means to feel the weight of sin and, and temptation, the struggle? Because after all, he was God. Let me give you just an illustration. Imagine with me that you are looking at a beautiful city with towering skyscrapers. And, and on a terrible, terrible afternoon... There is a huge cataclysmic earthquake. And that earthquake is one of the highest ever recorded on the Richter scale. And when the dust settles, there is a lone skyscraper that stands. And all the other buildings have collapsed and people start to come out. And, and, and as they look, all, as far as the eye can see, there's only rubble except this one standing beautiful tower. You know, it, to conclude that the skyscraper didn't really go through the earthquake would be absolutely foolish. To conclude that this, this skyscraper, that, that it must have been, a, that that was a weaker point of the earthquake, would have been foolish. But actually, people begin to look at the skyscraper and they say, who was the architect? They actually begin to look at the wisdom and brilliance of this skyscraper. And they look at the strength of the building. And, and actually, people begin to look at the, beak, the, 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 the skyscraper as a beacon of hope. So how can I actually withstand the earthquake next time? How can I actually have victory over the earthquake? You see, the architect of the building is not scorned. He's actually becomes a model for every other building to imitate. Jesus withstood the full earthquake of temptation and suffering. And Jesus actually is calling upon us because of our union with Christ to say, you build, imitate me and build the skyscraper of Christ's likeness so that you will not 
be, be broken to rubble under the temptation of your life. I don't know about you, but I, I am so thankful that Christ understands my weakness. I mean, may, maybe, maybe you feel burdens, and aren't you so thankful that Jesus understands your burdens? Maybe you have some temptations of sin and, that are hard and that are inflicting a lot of pain in your life. But aren't you thankful that Jesus actually persevered and that he actually understands? Maybe you have some broken relationships. You don't know how to put the pieces together, but you're thankful that Jesus understands what a broken relationship feels like. Do you know that Maybe you have some pressures of life that are heavy on your heart and you just want those pressures to be relieved. Aren't you thankful that Jesus understands those pressures? Boy, I am. You say, Ben, why, why, why do you bring this all up? Well, the point, you know, the point isn't to find someone that has suffered greater than you. The point actually isn't for, for misery to love company. It's, it's not actually to promote a, a victimization. I've suffered. But the point actually is something so great. It's not so that you and I will find our identity in our suffering. It's actually so that you and I will find our identity in Christ's suffering. And even though the genre of our suffering may change, the reality of Christ's victoriousness over his suffering will never change. So you and I, we find our identity in Christ that is sure and a rock foundation so that even though there's difficulties of life, we can take comfort to the reality that Jesus knows, Jesus understands, but we also take comfort that actually he has built and modeled that we should imitate and he actually wants us to follow him. We've seen that Jesus, the high priest, is a perfect mediator. We've seen that he understands us completely but I, I don't know about you. There, if you notice in life, there's people who, who they understand. They've maybe gone through what you've gone through, but they actually don't care. There's this disconnect where maybe they've moved on and you have this struggle and, and there is this care that is absolutely lost. Well, can I tell you this morning that Jesus, the great high priest, truly cares. You know what happens sometimes when you and I go through immense suffering? Our hearts can become calloused. Our hearts kind of build up this protective layer. Maybe it's, it's you know, a, a relationship you've been burned by and you're like, no, I'm just not going to get that close to people next time. Maybe it's you've had a health struggle and, and then you just begin to say, I'm going to do everything I can to control my health and, and this really nuanced and anytime there's a moment of, of is the, the health issue coming back, there's anxiety and fear that floods your heart. Jesus truly cares. 
you know, it's, we put this layer of protection on our soul so the suffering won't quite be quite so bad the next time. You know, when this happens, our sympathy level often just plummets for other people. You know, we get a little gruff with others. We can, we can begin to lack gentleness. We can kind of be like, hey, just, you know, come on, get your act together. You'll be okay. And we just really stop hurting with people. You know, Jesus actually hasn't developed calluses on his heart. He didn't have the reaction to protect his heart like you and I often do so that he wouldn't get hurt so badly the next time. Instead, he says something so crazy. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, I actually want your heavy heart. Bring me your problems. Jesus, the great high priest, mediates perfectly. Jesus understands our weakness and he truly cares. So what does all this mean? Well, Hebrews 4 verse 16 answers that for us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, draw near to Christ. We can run in so many other directions other than Christ, but he beckons us. He calls us. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. This is hard to understand at times because it feels like our human experience is so different. You understand us and you truly care. You are mediating for us. Lord, I pray there will be this level of comfort on our hearts this morning that this week we will run to Christ. We will run to Jesus so that in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of the moment of anxiety and worry, we would find sweet, blessed hope at the foot of the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his perfect example. May we build our lives in Christ's likeness to imitate Christ. And Lord, I pray you would strengthen us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.